Hopefully you got, uh, thanks Sean, you got the letter this week talking about what's going on in here and you know we, we as a leadership team see this as kind of a first, a first stage for us of what we feel like we need to do around our church to kind of bring it up to where we, we feel like it, it should be. Um, and one of those things, both of those things cost money. So uh, as you give, please know that uh, we are trying to be a church that, that takes these tithes and offerings. And I know for many of you, they're sacrificial. I know that. And we try to deploy them in ways that are both, um, both a blessing to God and an advancement to his kingdom here in our church and, and around the world. And the letter talked a lot about that. So check that out. Um, here's what I know about you guys. I, I've been in this church a long time. I've been around for a while, and I know two things. The thing I know most is I know what you want. In fact, very few people I know don't want what I'm going to be talking about today, at least a little bit of it. Most everybody you would meet would say, yeah, I would like a little bit of that. The truth is, even people who say they don't want it or don't need it, they're lying to you because they do want it and they do need it at least a little bit, and they'd like it. They would like it if it was easy. If it would come easy, they would take it. In fact, as I've thought about it, the only people maybe in the history of the world that haven't thought they needed it were either kind of maniacal guys, you know, your, your Hitler types, or, or they were so narcissistic, narcissistic, wholly narcissistic, that they, they thought they, they, that they were just good the way they were. Now, while we see our need for this sometimes, we are actually, you and I are experts at seeing the need for it in other people. We tell our spouses and our kids that they better do it or else. We pray for it for those we love, and we wish for it on those we can't stand. In a fallen world, in our, in our fallen bodies, with our fallen minds, this thing is the one hope that we all have for ourselves. It's the eternal hope. It's the hope that endures. You know what it is? Change. We all want change. Certainly in others. God, won't you change him? If you would just change her mind. Certainly up with others. But if we're honest, at least in ourselves, we would like to have some change. We all, we all love change and hate change. Some of you came in this morning and said, man, this is awesome what's going on in here. And in other words, you came in and said, why are they changing it? But we all need change at some level. In fact, at Menham Hills, we picked up this little slogan that kind of describes what we're trying to do. We say that we want to be a place where we're being changed, we're being transformed more and more into Christ-likeness, and we're bringing change to the community and the world around us. Being changed, bringing change. My guess would be, if you believe our story, our story is that once there was a time where we would not have desired change because we were whole and full and perfect. My guess would be that since we were kind of cast out of the garden... There has been a desire in our DNA for change back to what we once were. We want to be better people tomorrow than we are today. How many of you don't want to be richer tomorrow than you are today? Or happier? Or thinner? Or healthier? You name it. There is some area in your life where you say, man, I would really like to change right there. Every New Year's Eve, you write a list of them. And yes, most of us would probably say, I'm doing okay, I like myself, that's good. But there's also areas where you'd say, I need some change. See, somebody a long time ago figured this out. 
And if it's money that makes the world go round, then a desire for change is the axis on which the world spins. Do this. Join that. Read this. Buy that. You'll change. And somebody a long time ago figured it out and has made a jillion dollars on it. The drum for change has been beating in the world for thousands of years. In fact, the phrase self-help was actually coined in the Victorian era. If the the idea of motivational correctional writing has been around for as long as things have been written down, people have been reading about how to change themselves. They found ancient Egyptian codes written, and they said, this is one quote, you trail from street to street smelling of beer, like a broken rudder, good for nothing. You've been found performing acrobatics on a wall. In a sense, you're a mess. You need to change. Think about how the world just keeps telling us that we want to change. We do. They're selling us products. Dale Carnegie, Stephen Covey, Tony Robbins, How to Win Friends and Influence People, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, The Apkins Diet, Body for Life. Who has not desired to change and read or pursued down one of these avenues? In fact, let's do a little scientific, unscientific experiment. Raise your hand if you have ever attended some kind of change-based program, gone to some kind of seminar to make you better at something, or read some kind of book that promised to change you relative to your performance or your diet or your discipline. Raise your hand if you've engaged in any of that at any time in your life. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, it makes me wonder what you're thinking. (laughs) I'm good? Don't need any help anywhere? Almost all of us have done it, right? Now... I should have said, put down your hand if you made the change and kept it. Because if you've lived long enough, and unfortunately I'm getting into that area of my life where I've lived long enough, I've gone to a lot of the seminars and I've read a lot of the books and I've lost some weight and I've been a little better. And over time, you know what happens? I just regress back to the same old place I was. Aren't you tired of that? I'm so tired of of that in my life. Now, if I was to go around and ask Christians, okay, Christians, that would be people like us, what the best self-help book ever written was, what do you think they would say? The Bible. And they're completely wrong. And here's why. The Bible was never meant to be a self-help book. But the problem with Christianity is we keep reading the Bible as if it were a self-help book. I don't know if God was pleased with that line or not. (laughs) We keep reading it as if, oh, if I read this and, and do all these things, and, and, and this is here so that I, I know how to, to be a better person, right? But if you've tried this, and most of us have tried it, if you've done your quiet time and you've read the scriptures and you've tried harder, how many of you would say, I've done all that and I haven't changed? In fact, just this week I was meeting, I go on a monthly basis to meet with our district superintendent, and I sit in his office for hours. And we talk about all these deep theological concepts, right? And this week we're talking about the theological concept of sanctification. What sanctification means is that God, for those who desire to follow Jesus, sanctifies them, which means he sets them aside for his purpose. And in the CMA, we believe that sanctification is kind of two-part. That when you initially come to Christ, you are sanctified and set aside. So they call it a crisis moment. But then they say, over time, you continue in your sanctification. You continue to become more Christ-like. 
And he said, John, what do you think about that? I said, I think it's theologically true, but I find it very hard to find anybody that's actually becoming more like Christ. I see some people. But for a lot of us, I see the the crisis point of sanctification, and I see us struggle so hard to, to try to be more like Christ. How about you? Have you noticed it? I mean, have you, have you read about the preachers who, who fall, the, the church leaders who abuse children? My kids and I were home last night. Anybody see 48 Hours last night? It was a whole story, a two-hour story on a, a, a love triangle like in a church in the Paul Fox. And the, the one pastor's wife got the other pastor to kill the other pastor so they could be together. And Wait, Where's the change? You see, we don't just want change. We need to be changed. But we go about it, and the church goes about it. The church tries to do it the same way that the world says that you can change. Here's what I'm going to ask you this morning. Do you want to be changed? I mean, it sounds like a dumb question, but if you remember when Jesus met the, the guy that was the cripple that laid by the pool for 20 or 30 years, every day laid by the pool? And Jesus walks up to him, and there's this pool, and, and if you got into it when they thought the angels were stirring the water, you'd be healed. Anybody remember what Jesus walks up to this guy that sat by the pool for 20 or 30 years? What does Jesus say to him? Do you want to be healed? So the first question you have to ask yourself when it comes to change is, do you really want to change? And I'll tell you, when I push people on this, and I've pushed people on this, do you want to change? I've actually had some people come back and say, I don't want to change Literally, I've had somebody say, I just want to be an a-hole. That's what I am, and I'm happy to stay that way. Because they don't want to change. Are you tired of trying harder? Are you tired of coming up with a new plan? Have you done the diet thing? Have you tried the accountability partner route? These aren't bad things. These are tools. In the Christian life, you need transformation and tools. We talk about tools in the church all the time. Today, we need to talk about transformation. Have you seen all the counselors? You read all the books and nothing. Are you open to a new way of change? Are you open to trying it with just as much effort as belief as you had in all the other programs? Because I'm going to give you one. I swear to you will change you forever. But you've got to be willing to seek after it with all your heart. This summer we're going to be talking about seeds of change. And it's based off of something Paul was trying to teach the church. He was writing to a church in a town called Galatia. And this church was pretty screwed up. It needed to be changed. In fact, they wanted to change. And in order to experience the change, they began to go about the same route that you and I do. They said to Paul and all the church leaders, just tell me what to do. What is it you want me to do? Give me the laws. Give me the plan. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. This way I'll change. Man always wants rules. Just tell me what to do. Steve has the best line about the kids. You know, Steve and I laugh about this. He'll teach them about something in church, and then they'll go to high school, and they'll encounter it. And he's gotten calls from kids saying, "Uh, what's our stance on this again? Right? Like we're some political party. Right? We, just tell me the rules and I'll follow the rules because I want to be a good Christian. Now you see, we always want the rules, but the truth is the rules never lead to a changed heart. You might be able to follow them for a while, but it leads to a pretty bland, grinded out life. Have you met people that have been trying to follow Christian rules their whole lives? It's like they're dead inside. They don't smile. Paul, now the Apostle Paul who writes most of the New Testament, now get this, he was the chief rule follower and the chief rule giver. 
He comes to a whole new understanding about how to change. And he spends the four first chapters in this letter he writes to Galatia saying, stop following the rules. Have you ever heard a Christian guy stand up and say, stop following the rules? Stop. Do you want to change? You want to be more like God? You want all of the promises of God? Stop following the rules. Keeping the law doesn't work. Paul starts, he says, this is what I'm going to tell you. He says, I say to you, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because the lust for the flesh, lust against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And they're contrary to one another. Because of that, you don't do the things that you wish you would. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Hear what he said. He said, so follow the Spirit so that you do not do the things. The reason that there's a conflict here, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul's saying the things you want to do and you don't do them. And the reason is this. You're trying out of your flesh by following the law, by trying harder. I'm just going to be different this time. I'm not going to look at that anymore. I'm not going to drink that anymore. I'm not going to smoke that anymore. I'm not going to eat that anymore. I'm not going to talk that way anymore. I'm just going to try harder. I'm I'm going to set myself right. Paul says when you try to make your old self, your old flesh, the man that you were born, the woman that you were born, when you try to make that person different, when you put law on that old person, all it serves, the law on an old person, is like blowing on embers. It just gets the flames of the old person to come back. It never changes the heart of the old person. Paul says, there's actually a war going on in you. There's this old man and there's this seed that was planted in you when you came to Christ, when you decided you were going to follow Jesus. A seed got planted in you of new life. But you keep going back to this old thing and trying to get it to work for you. It'll never work for you. You need to live out of this new life force, this Holy Spirit which is available to you. Paul goes on, he says, he says, let me show you what happens if you live in the flesh, if you just keep living the way you were born. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, you might go, well, I'm not that bad. Okay, hatred, how you doing on that? Discord, you got bad relationships with anybody? Jeal- jealousy, you know when you're jealous, that's because you're living out of the old man? Fits of rage, there's a lot of angry men out there. I've cut some of you off, I know. Right? I'm always amazed. I'm like, why are you so mad, dude? I didn't see you. Selfish ambition, I gotta get ahead. I've gotta get ahead. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this aren't going to get in, aren't going to become part of the kingdom of God. They're going to stay in this kingdom. What the Bible's saying is that this is what the flesh does. This is what it produces. These things, those things, that's where, they just come out. They come out of that flesh. It's natural. And when you take your flesh and you put laws and programs on them, it makes it worse. Paul says there's another way to live. He says there's another way to live. You don't have to keep trying to make that way work for you anymore. Stop buying all the books. It'll never work. Paul says in Galatians 5, 23 but the fruit of the Spirit, if you were to live out of this new life, this seed that has been planted in you, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, 
forbearance, which is patience, kindness. Guys, how are you doing on kindness and patience? Does it just flow out of you? Oh, I'm just coming on. Come on. I'm on the parkway. We're merging. Oh, just come on in. Come on. You too. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just flow out. The other night we were at a graduation party and I said to the kids, let's take the long way home. It's a nice scenic route. And then a guy had the nerve to get in front of me and drive 30 miles an hour for 15 miles. And I'm like, the fruit of the flesh was in full swing, right? This is ridiculous. But this, this is available to you. There is a new life that you can tap into and you don't have to try to be kind. You will be kind. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Paul says that these are marks of one who follows Jesus. And Paul, you know who Paul got this idea from? Jesus. It was Jesus who famously said, don't judge others. He said, don't go and look at other people and try to evaluate where you are based on what they're doing. Don't judge others. But in the same chapter of the same book, he says, if you do want to understand if somebody's really in Christ or if they're just kind of a a false prophet, somebody that talks a lot about God, Don't listen to how well they teach. Don't listen to how much of the Bible they know. In fact, listen to me. False prophets always know the Bible. False prophets always know the Bible. False prophets always know the Bible. If you want to discern who people are, if they're with Jesus and following Him, don't look for gifts of the Spirit. Look for fruit of the Spirit. And we screw this up in the church all the time. We hold people up who have gifts. Oh, what a preacher. He's just so anointed, isn't he? What a teacher. What a leader. We think, wow, these are incredible godly people. But do you know how you can tell if they're actually walking with Jesus? It's not based on how well they preach. It has has no relevance to the size of their church. You don't judge them by their gifts. You have to judge them by their fruit. Are they the most incredible lovers you've ever seen? Do they just love people like crazy? Are they the happiest people you ever met? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. I mean, are they just smiling all the time? Do you sense a peace about them? Like, man, nothing seems to upset that guy. Right, staff? Nothing seems to upset this guy. If you were in the midst of this in the last two weeks. (laughs) We, we screw this up all the time. If I was to go out on the street this morning and ask people on the street, uh, how would you describe Mendham Hills Community Church? Would they say, yeah, they love God and His creation. They love His children like crazy. Man, those people won't leave me alone. They just love on this town so much. Husbands, if I was to have an honest conversation with your wife and I asked them, tell me about how, and I'm not going to do this so men don't sweat, tell me. How are you at home versus how are you at church or work? Because I don't want you to ask my wife this either. How are you at home versus how are you at church or work? Would love and joy and patience and kindness be the description? Mothers, if I were to go ask your teenage daughter, hey, does mommy love God? No, I wouldn't ask her that. What if I said, how patient is mom with you? What would she say? See, the church is just like the high school teenagers. We just want to execute rules. We don't want to live out of a new spirit that's available to us. This problem went on 2,000 years ago, and it's going on today. Caleb and I were driving around yesterday, and we drove by this little church. I've been driving by this church for 
25, 30 years. I've never heard anything about this church. I just drive by it. And please don't see this as judging in a bad way, but I just I, I said to Caleb as we drove by, I said, I'm going to go home and Google that church, find out what the deal with that church is. I never hear of anything or any, anybody that goes there or anything. And so I pulled up their webpage, and the front page said, for more than 30 years, this church uh, has endeavored by the grace of God, I love how they throw grace in, to provide a place in our community where people can hear the truth about God's word. We're not ashamed of the gospel, and we stand unapologetically for that old-time religion. We never seek to entertain our congregation, but to enrich, educate, and edify it. I'm just reading that. I'm just like feeling judged as I read it, and I'm thinking, love? Like, if I, love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness? I heard the story this week of the chaplain. I think it was at Eastern University. And he had a girl from his school come into his office, and she was just convulsing in tears, trembling, to the point that he knew something was seriously wrong. She's crying her eyes out. She'd been, she'd been outed on campus at the Christian school. It had gotten out that she was a lesbian. And as she wept, and she told the, ca- the chaplain that her dad was, quote, an old-time preacher, and that in the church, he almost every other week he had been condemning of gays and lesbians from the pulpit. And, and now that I've been outed, she said to him, in her tears trembling, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know. My dad's going to find out. I don't want to tell my dad, but I've got I to tell my dad. He's going to know. And the chaplain looked at her and he said, no, you don't have to tell him anything. I will. And he called the preacher up and he said, sir, your, your daughter is in my office here at school. And I have to tell you, she is quite an incredible young lady. You know, she... She leads worship at our church services here, and, and she runs two different Bible studies for the kids on campus. She's just been an incredible witness for Jesus here. Well, as most proud fathers would, that was all our father needed to hear. And, and like any proud father, he went on, he said, yeah, my daughter is incredible. He said, when she comes home, you should see it. When she comes home every summer, every summer the youth group doubles in size. They just want to be around her. They just want to be with her and be like her. And when she's not at youth group, she's always off in the hospitals visiting the sick. She's such a blessing to the church and to me. She's a joy, that girl, I say, a saint. And, and the chaplain interrupted him and said, Sir, then you and I are in agreement. Your daughter is a wonderful Christian woman. But in the next 30 seconds, I'm going to find out if you're worthy of being called her father. And see, what I'm not talking about right now, sin, I'm talking about love. Because love loves sinners. Love, joy, peace, patience. How about you? Do you want to change? Do, I, do any of these things, do you ever hear any of these things and say, man, I need this? Do you love people or are you angry all the time? Are you happy? Are you happy? I mean, do people want to be around? you ever say, man, nobody seems to want to be around me? Because people want to be around happy people. Have you, did you laugh this week? Are you scared to death? Are you scared to death? Not enough money? Wars, rumors of wars, health, bad diagnosis? Peace? Do you want deep peace so all that stuff doesn't get you? You know, it's interesting about the fruit of the Spirit. You could get them all. They're singular in nature. See, God gives gifts of the Spirit. You get one or two. But do you know if you are in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits You don't get separate ones. You get all of it. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of it, all of it comes to you for those who are in Christ. 
The Pharisees, see, this is not, spiritual formation isn't defined by Christian activities or your mission trips or knowing a lot about the Bible. The Pharisees did all those things, and Jesus said they didn't have any fruit. To grow in authentic love and joy and peace and patience, that's the center of the target. That's the kind of people we want to be. Now, when I look at these qualities, when I read them down myself, sometimes I'm overwhelmed by how far I am. Sometimes I start violating this fruit of the spirit concept the minute my feet hit the ground in the morning. But here's what we're not going to do in this series. We are not going to spend the next 10 weeks trying harder to be more loving, trying harder to be more joyful, trying harder to be more patient, trying harder to do character self-improvement. That's not what we're going to do. That is not what we're going to do. You're not going to change with another self-help manual. And the Bible is not a self-help manual. We're going to do something else. We're going to go after one single word that ta- Jesus talks about more than anything else in this one piece of Scripture, John 15. Would you read it? Tell me what Jesus talks about. You want to change? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, okay, we're talking about fruit, right? Every branch that fair, bears fruit, he prunes. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have issues in your life. God is using issues in your life. That it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Therefore, abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. You can keep trying, but it'll never work. If anybody does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and he's withered. And they gather them up and they throw them in the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. This, by this my Father is glorified. How do you glorify God? You bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. What was the word? What is, what's the key to bearing fruit? Abide. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. There's just one thing. Do you know what a branch has to do? A branch that's you has one responsibility. Do you know what the one thing you've got to do is? Abide. Remain. If you remain in me and I remain in you, from one moment to the next moment, you just keep receiving this this flow of life and nourishment from God. If you abide, listen to me, if you abide, the fruit will come. Now, here we have a couple. We're gonna, we should have a little Facebook naming contest for these. Anybody know what kind of trees these are? You people are scary. They're fig trees. I figured if we were going to do something on fruit, we needed a fruit tree. Is a fig a fruit, Betsy? Okay, so I'm good on that one. And, you know, figs, fig is kind of a biblical fruit. So I wanted to have some plants and some vines and some roots up here to show you, right? This, is, this, this plant abides in the root from one moment to the next. It's just gaining nutrition. Is this plant grinding out, push, pushing figs out? Oh, i got to get a fig out. <laughs> I know what you're thinking there. <laughs> and I did not mean it that way. Ha, <laughs> I'm not going to let you break through, <laughs> break my concentration. 
Listen, Paul sets up this thing. He says, look, remember what he says? These are the works of the flesh. He goes, don't do those. What do you think he'd say? He would would think, say, do the works of the Spirit. But he doesn't say do the works of the Spirit. He says this is the fruit of the Spirit. You can keep trying to do everything you can to change yourself apart from remaining in the root. It's useless. He's not looking for more works. Jesus is looking for abiders. Church, listen to me. This is the heart of what we believe. If you want to change, doing it on your own is going to result in frustration and failure. You might succeed in an outward appearance, but you become like a dry drunk. Anybody know what a dry drunk is? This is great. I read this this week. Dry drunk syndrome describes those who no longer drink alcohol, those who no longer maybe sin, but in many ways behave like they were still in the midst of the addiction. The dry drunk or dry Christian may be full of resentment and anger. Instead of finding joy in their life away from alcohol or away from the flesh, they act as if they're serving a prison sentence. The only change this person has made is that they've stopped drinking. But in other respects of their life, they remain the same. Friends and family can complain the dry drunk is almost as hard to be around as the day they were drinking. Anybody know any dry Christians? Just going to stop sinning. Stop that. Jesus says if you want to change, there's one thing you've got to do. You've got to abide. Now, these each have some fruit on them, right? Betsy, you're my horticulturalist. Which of these appears more healthy? That one? All right, so this, this is a plant that abides, right? Now, luckily, we had a lot of construction tools around. <laughs> I promise, I told my wife, I will plant two fig trees for every fig tree that is destroyed in this. (laughs) This This fig tree is going to bear fruit. Doesn't need to try. Now, what happens when the tree detaches? It separates from the vine. It withers and dies. Have you ever thought about the Scripture? When we were cast out of the garden, we were detached from the vine. Guess what's happened to every one of us from the day we were detached from that vine? You die. You wither and you die. Now, you might look at me and say, you look pretty healthy, except for these three cancer spots I took in my head earlier this week, if you're wondering what that is. But, uh, but I'm dying. I'm dying. You're dying. Now, Tell me about this plant. Is this plant living? <laughs> and the two that will be planted when I get home will be living wonderfully. But the truth is this plant looks like it's living, but it's not. It looks good. But you know what this plant is in the process of doing as it stands before you looking just like this one? It's withering and it's dying. This one's just going to keep on pumping out figs because it's rooted, but this one is going to wither and die. So you know what we're going to do with it? We're going to do over the next 10 weeks. These are going to be here every week. We should have a little naming contest for the two of them. Over the next 10 weeks, we're going to see what happens. And you know what we're going to do with this tree? We're going to do what the church does with, with, with cut fig trees all the time, with people that aren't rooted in Christ. Do you know what we do all the time? We hang fake fruit all over them. Don't we? I'll just keep, I'll put some fruit, I'll clean this up. I'll get some green spray paint in a couple weeks. I'll hang some fruit on there. This thing is going to look good. It'll have absolutely no root. It'll be dead inside, but it might look good. Let me ask you, 
I'm going to ask you a hard question. Do you want to, do you want to change? Do you want to stop pursuing happiness, chasing after it? Do you want to stop pursuing peace? If I just made a little more money, if I had a little more savings, I'd be much calmer. Do you want to buy another diet book or accountability program that promises you victory? These things in their own aren't bad. You need tools. You need tools. But apart from transformation, you will never change. Let me give you this little saying. I've been thinking about it all week. You can throw it up over the thing, Tim. I gave it to you last night. Seek the root, not the fruit. Seek the root, not the fruit. Entire industries are based on selling you fruit. You're going after the wrong thing. You've been duped. We spend all kinds of money and time on gym memberships, on diet plans, on vacations. They all say the same, but we give lip service to abiding in Jesus. Lip, complete lip service to it. Why is it so much easier to get up for you and I to get up and go to the gym than it is to get up and abide in Christ for just 50? What if you abided in Christ for the time you were willing to go to the gym? Do you know why you and I don't abide in Christ for as much as we go to the gym? Do you know why? The truth is, we believe in the transformative power of the gym more than you believe in the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. That's the truth. And you know why that is? Because you've so rarely ever seen it. Because the church told you to chase a bunch of rules. So this is going to be a summer of transformation. Our goal together is going to be a reattach to the seed. Renee, would you run out and bring in one of our little things? Um, we, have a little, we have two homework things for you to take home this summer as we start this series. It's going to be the summer of transformation. We're going to try to reattach to the Christ seed that was planted in us when we first came to faith. If you have not decided to pursue Christ, walk with us this summer. Ask Christ, say, God, I'm willing to give you myself today. I'd like to walk in this. Show me your ways. Show me transformation. So when we're going to do this is um, uh, when you walk out today, you're going to get handed this. How cool is this? The staff worked very hard on this. And in here is uh, some potting soil. And in here are some uh, sweet olive tomato seeds, uh, this cute little basket, and the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to ask you to plant this thing and water it and watch it grow all summer and, and take pictures when it first breaks through. Take pictures and put them up on Facebook as an encouragement to one another. But you, when you're watching this, let it inspire you that there was a seed planted in this and it's not doing anything. God is doing the work. It's emerging, it's changing, and it's producing fruit. And that can be true of your life. You don't have to do anything. You have to abide. So pick these up on your way out. This is an awesome prop. They did such a great job with it. I think it's going to serve us well all summer. And lastly, here's the last thing. How do you do this? How do you abide? How do you stay connected? Here's the secret. You want the secret? You're not going to like it. But the secret is time. You have to give God some time in your life. If you don't, you will not be connected. I know the summer is busy, but really it's probably the best chance we have for this. Could you figure out a way this summer, over these 10 weeks, to connect, to abide, 
to remain in Christ. We have to start to live with Jesus. This doesn't mean new activities for you. This mostly means doing what you're doing already, but learning how to do it with Jesus. He's there already. You have this new life in you. You just have to live out of it. You have to connect to it. What does it mean? It means when you get up, you've got to have the concept of Christ with you in the morning. You're getting up anyway, but what does it mean to get up with Christ? What does it mean to open your eyes and say, God, I am tired today, God, but I'm going to, please, Lord, walk with me today. Show me today what I need to see. In my house, we come down and watch the Today Show, right? This is kind of like what the eyes of doing when we watch the Today Show. And as I watch the Today Show, I, I often feel in myself, oh, my, oh, Jesus. Like, I, I, I'm not perfect at this, but I'm not bad at this. This is one of the things I'm, I'm, I got issues in other areas, but this one I'm okay with a lot, is this concept of abiding in Jesus. I can sit on the couch and watch the news with Jesus and, and have this free-flowing conversation. Oh, Lord, would you help what's going on? Jesus, would you be involved? When ambulances drive by me on the street, I pray immediately for whoever that, Jesus, wherever who's, Whoever that's for, would you help their family, Lord? Would you save them? Would you rescue them? See, you have to invite Jesus into an honest conversation of your everyday life. He's not staying here when you leave. He's not waiting for you to come back next Sunday. You just need to abide. You need to continue with Him. You need to abide in the vine. Spend a little time with Scripture, not so that you're like a knowledge, but it's not bad to be knowledgeable. But Jesus said, my word needs to abide in you too, so that you know who I am. You're not making me up. Use a little bit of square Scripture. Reflect on it. Meditate in it. Examine this. Every day before you go to work, maybe, just put this on your desk and read it. But the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, would you help me? Would you work in me, Lord, so that these would be true of me? When you go to work, think about what it's like to abide. When you're trying to talk to a customer, so many of you are salespeople, don't look at the customer as a salesperson. Look at the customer as a son or daughter of God. God, help me to see what you see. You know why counselors are great? Counselors are great because they know, Christian counselors, that know how to abide in Christ. There's a ministry called Healing Prayer that's fascinating. They learn how to abide so deeply in Christ that they can sense what's going on in somebody's life. They pray, God, show me what's in their heart. When you come home from work, when you pull in the driveway, when I was a kid, my parents wound up divorced. Many of you know that. And I remember I was thinking about this as I was writing it. It's hot up here. I'm almost done. <laughs> my dad would pull in the driveway, and I worked with him in the summers. My dad would pull in the driveway, and when we'd, we'd pull up, and he'd put the car in park. He'd stop for a minute, he'd pause, and he'd let go. And now I've got to deal with this. He was talking about my mom. And uh, that struck me. Like, that hurt me as a little boy because I was like, that's, my dad didn't mean it in deep ways. He didn't mean to communicate that we were a bother. And in fact, my father loves, loves us like crazy and was, was a wonderful father. But for him and my mom and their struggles, my dad pulled in the driveway to go, oh, you know, now I got to deal with this. When I pull in the driveway at night, I don't do this every night, but I would tell you I do it most nights. When I pull in the driveway at night, I, before I get out of the car, I stop and I think to myself, God, please help me to walk into that house and not be a jerk. Because in my flesh, I'm going to come in, I'm going to have a bad attitude, I'm tired and I'm cranky and I'm going to be a jerk. And some nights I overcome. But I drive home with Jesus and I park. And when you go to bed at night, you're going to sleep anyway. Like I'll lie there in bed at night and I'll just say the name Jesus over and over again. Jesus, 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 forgive me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, sustain me. I try to look back on the day and see where Jesus interacted in my day. Where did you see him? See, you can't, he's there. This isn't a joke. You can abide with Christ and be changed. Last thing I want to do, there's one last gift I want to give you, except this one you have to pay for. That's the kind of gift giver I am. 
I want to give you one more assignment. It's a resource to help you. I highly, highly recommend it to you. Take it to the beach. Read it a few times this summer. It's short. It's quick. It's excellent. You can read it many times over. I would tell you almost every great Christian you've ever heard of, if you ask them their top five books, this is in their top five books, but most of you have never heard about it. I purchased it in 2014 vernacular, and it's right here. They'll be out at the Welcome Center. We've got about 25 of them this week. There'll be more of them next week. If you want one and they're gone when you get there, we're not selling them at a profit. We're selling them at cost, okay? I think it's nine, $10, $10 at our cost. This is a book called Practicing the Presence of God. It was written by a guy named Brother Lawrence. Uh, this is a modern version of it. It's in 2014 vernacular. It was written by a Carmelite monk. He lived in the 1600s, but you know what he did for a living? Every day, he worked in the lowliest fashion possible. He had the lowest position in his monastery. He either worked in the kitchen or repaired sandals in his later years. In fact, he wasn't even educated enough. They wouldn't make him a full-fledged monk. He was just a lay worker. Yet despite this position, his character changed so much that people from all over the place started to come to him. He had a reputation for experiencing profound peace. You ever know anybody that, that exudes profound peace? And he had wisdom, and people would come to them for conversation, and later they wrote these conversations with him down in this book, The Practice of the Presence of God. You know what practicing the presence of God is? Abiding. He was assigned to the kitchen, and amidst tedious chores of cooking and cleaning at the constant bidding of his superiors, he developed his rule of spirituality. This is what he said. He said, men invent, listen to this, this is what I've just been talking about. Men, men do this, they invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and they set up devices to remind them of his love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the conscious of God's presence. Yet it's so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our whole days, our common business, wholly for the love of him? Brother Lawrence was known to be so spiritual, you can believe this or not, but there's, there's a lot of stuff out there in the, in the ancient writings that they, they would find him in the kitchen levitating because of the love of God that was just surrounding this guy. He knew how to abide. Let me give you just a couple of his quotes and then we'll close. Brother Lawrence said, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful, do you want to change? Than a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice it and experience it. He said, let us not think that our only business in this life is to pleasure God. Perhaps all besides is but folly and vanity. He said, we should fix our eyes firmly in the presence of God by conversing all the time with Him. We should feed our soul with a conception of God and derive great joy, love, peace, patience, joy. We should put life in our faith. We should give ourselves utterly to God. And finally, I love this because this is our flesh. Don't be discouraged by the resistance you're going to encounter from your human nature, your flesh. You must go against your human inclinations. Often in the beginning, you'll think you're wasting time. Why am I doing this? This is silly. Why am I giving time to this? I could just go and study Ephesians again. I'm not telling you not to study Ephesians, but I am telling you to spend time with God. Don't just study Ephesians. Spend time with the living, breathing Jesus Christ. Don't give up on him being real. Don't give up on Jesus being able to change your life today. He said, don't give up on it. Often in the beginning, you'll think you're wasting time, but you must go on, be determined, and persevere in it until death, despite all the difficulties. Worship guys, come on up. This is the summer. Mendham, do you want to change? It's time to get back on the vine. It's time to reconnect to the vine, to reconnect with Jesus, to allow his flow. What you see here is flow, life. 
What you see here is something that looks like life and is going to wither and die. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, that's how I love you. Now abide in my love. Father, I just lift up our church. For many of us, God, we are, we are barely connected and we put a lot of effort into looking good. Lord, would you help us? Would you coach us? Would you counsel us on how to abide? Teach us these truths in the scripture, God. Teach us these truths through what this Carmelite monk that lived 400 years ago knows that we, we just, that did dishes and fixed sandals. But he knew how to, to he, knew, he knew Christ. God, we want to know Christ the power of his resurrection, and we want to be changed. Come quickly in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Teach us to abide. Amen.